Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say together with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. So every um, year, this congregation holds an auction, and one of the things that I offered last time for the auction was that people could bid, and if you won the bid, then you got to suggest a sermon topic. Two people, uh, one person won the bid, and then another person matched it, and so I got two sermon topics. One was God the Huntress, which I preached back in February, and this one was um, from uh, Mr. LeBurkin, who wanted to hear about salvation, and he wanted to hear Amazing Grace, and thank you, Virginia, for singing that. He's not here right now, but he'll be at the next service. Uh, It's a little uncomfortable for me to preach about salvation because the paradigm that I live and move and have my being in uh, doesn't really call for that concept, but I remember it well from my many years in a a Christian family and... um, a missionary family, really. My all my cousins grew up in India and Africa because their parents were um, were preaching salvation to people who were in other religions, and um, and I studied for three years at Princeton Seminary, which is really the best shot you can have at understanding Christianity all the way through, a certain kind of Christianity anyway, and. Um, and then I was a Presbyterian minister for 15 years. So I know uh, that part of, of what I'm talking about. And um, so today I'm going to revisit that old paradigm and talk about salvation again and maybe what might salvation be for Unitarian Universalists. I want to talk about what um, many people's views of salvation are because most sermons start with a question or two and one is about the word. What does the word salvation mean? And um, another is what have people said about it? So I'm about to, to tell you that. When the word is translated in the Hebrew scriptures, it connotes um, to keep someone alive, to rescue someone, to deliver someone. In Greek, the language of the Christian scriptures, the root is the Greek word sozo, which means to rescue or deliver or protect. But sozo gives us a little more room to move in that. And the New Testament, it's also translated to get well, to preserve, to make whole. So many liberal Christians talk about salvation as wholeness, which is much more comfortable for me. So 
So there are lots of range, there's a range of meanings in the word salvation from being delivered and rescued to being healed, and it has to do with the end point of the soul. Where are you going to end up, and in what state can your soul feel clean and free and peaceful? So um, even though the word from the sermon topic request comes from the Jewish and Christian traditions, I would like to range farther afield to see what other religions have to say about the end point of the soul and what makes your soul feel clean and free and and whole. And so I want to go start back, way back with the, you know, not with the dinosaurs like James Michener, but almost. Um, so I think the most ancient religions were the earth-based ones that um, the Christian scholars call fertility cults but they were earth-based religions. And so just imagine that you are um, a human being and you're dropped into this world and you have a group of other human beings and you don't know anything. So the first things you're going to notice are things like that some places have good berries and some hunters uh, have good luck and the moon does the same thing every month and you're going to start noticing the rhythms of the earth. And so naturally, um, and then you notice that you, that you grow big and have a baby, um, the women anyway, and, um, and that's kind of a miraculous occurrence. And so you start to wonder, um, how do I control this? How do I make sure that it's a good year for berries and that the, uh, that the bears don't get them all? And how do I make sure that the hunters have good luck, and how do I make sure sometimes my kid comes out beautiful and sometimes the kid's in trouble and sometimes your child is healthy and sometimes your child isn't, and is there is it something I did? Um, is there something I can do that'll make it more re- reliably good? And so you start making connections. It's like, well, we had this big feast and then the next ten babies were born okay, so... Maybe there's a connection there, and so you try to you start trying to control your environment, and it seems pretty easy to see over thousands of years how you could get a quote-unquote fertility cult going with your religion of the rhythms of the seasons and trying to um, do things that will either align you with the rhythms of the seasons or later on that will align you with the gods of the things of the rhythms of the seasons. And so once you start giving personalities to those things, then you have to start treating them like personalities. And then, you know, sometimes they're mad and maybe it's because they're mad that this happened. And so I better make them unmad. How can we keep the gods from not being mad? And how can we appease the gods? And so the very earliest religions were all about appeasing the gods and making sure that they were happy. And it makes sense. If you had to tell somebody from Mars how religion started, that's probably where you would go. So um, the earliest organized religion, if you can call it that, that um, scholars know about is Hinduism and Judaism, which were uh, getting organized about the same time or just beginning in a kind of disorganized way about the same time, about two or 3,000 years before the Common Era. So Judaism was 
um, the religion of Abraham, and the big revelation to Abraham was that God was one God. There wasn't a little God of everything. Um, you didn't have to worry about fertility of the land. You didn't have to remind the gods to let the sun come back after the, after the solstice. You didn't have to remind the fields to be fertile. This was all in the hands of God. And your, your um, context was not one of endless cycles that would go on for eternity. Your context was one of there was a beginning of history, a middle, and an end. And God was the one who was in charge of this whole line. So it became very linear instead of cyclical. See what I'm saying? With the revelation to Abraham. And so um, a person in Judaism was called to be righteous. That's a big word in Judaism. You have to be righteous. But a righteous person can sin, quote-unquote. They can make mistakes. They can do destructive things. The Jewish scriptures talk about a righteous person falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up. You fall down, you get up. But you're still righteous as long as your face is turned toward God, as long as you're in relationship with God, whether you're yelling at God or whether you're disobeying God, well, you're still in relationship. So you're a righteous person. And really, um, as Judaism developed, you know, there was that time of slavery in Egypt in the Jewish story, and then the Exodus, which is the defining moment which begins the history of the Jewish people. Before that, they were just kind of Abraham's family and the Hebrew people, but Jews started with the Exodus. And they wandered, and then they got into the Promised Land, and that was salvation for them in a way, but it's always been talked about in, in Jude, most Judaism as salvation of the people rather than of a person. You're not an individually saved person. You have to do the things that will save Israel, and that is keeping the Torah, keeping the word of God, the commandments, and doing what God wants you to do. That's going to save the people. Okay. Now, meanwhile, this other religion was developing in the East, Hinduism, and the earliest Hindu scriptures are called the Vedas, and they don't talk very much about um, eternal salvation. They're more about appeasing the gods. Here's how you do things correctly so the gods will be happy with you. And it's only later in Hinduism that the scriptures which were being written about the time Buddhism was starting in 500 BCE, um, the, the later scriptures were called the Upanishads. The Upanishads talk about um, being released from the endless wheel of rebirth and that that is your salvation, that you don't have to come back anymore, that you build up enough good karma so that you can stop being reborn into this world of illusion and suffering. And so, um, for and again, really be aware that I'm painting with a completely too broad of a brush, and anyone who was an adherent of any one of these religions would be outraged at how simply I'm painting any of them, but I have to get through all of this in 20 minutes, so. Um, so both Hinduism and Buddhism talk about not so much... Um, how to appease the gods, but especially Buddhism, is all about how to get off this endless roller coaster of happiness, unhappiness, joy, sorrow. How can you leave it all behind? And um, how can you get 
to a place where you're so unweighed down by karma, which is the energy that is left behind, created by your actions, both good and bad. You've got good karma, you've got bad karma, and some sects of Buddhism teach that you, and Hinduism too, teach that you've got to get rid of not only the bad karma, but the good karma too. So you have none. So there are some um, religious folk who just sit because this is their last life and they don't want to do anything, really. And um, it's very interesting to watch people try not to do anything good or anything bad. And so, um, and there are some sects, especially of Buddhism, where you can borrow other people's good karma because there's never enough good karma created by one human being to get you over the river to the other side to to enlightenment, to, to nirvana, not to enlightenment. You can, re- you can reach that in this life, but you need a lot of good karma. And sometimes there are bodhisattvas or saints whose karma you can borrow. And a Buddhist would understand Christianity this way. The Christian story would be like, oh, yeah, Jesus has enough good karma so that you can borrow Jesus' good karma and um, make it to the other side. And other sects of Buddhism, especially the most kind of pared-down fundamentalist sects of Buddhism, the most ancient ones, just say, you're, you're on your own. Now, in most segments of Christianity, salvation means being rescued from the punishment due to you for your individual sins. So now we're at Christianity where salvation is, is the word that they use, and it's a very individual concept. You either sin, and you have to pay for those, or in some Christian <clears throat> denominations, understanding like the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, Episcopalians, you're born in sin. So, you know, even a baby is out of luck. But in other denominations, they believe that you're born good, like the Methodists. They believe you're born good, but then you do bad stuff pretty soon afterwards. But <laughs> if you're a Methodist, you believe that human beings can choose to do good or evil pretty equally, but if you're a Presbyterian, you think that the choice to do evil is much easier than the choice to do good, which is surprising. Knowing the Presbyterians I know, they're usually very upright people, um, but they talk as if they were totally depraved. We, I'll say, and like they're just an inch from knocking over the corner grocery store. Um, But I always found that total depravity a very cheerful doctrine, as I've said to you before, because you feel like you're doing pretty well. I mean, if you're totally depraved as a human being, then you're a pretty good person, and that's a huge victory. So, um, But anyway, now I'm Unitarian Universalist. I have to believe in the basic goodness of human being, which gives me more of a problem. So... Um, for Christian salvation, in most Christianities, what they teach is that um, your sins have to be paid for and that it's the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus that saves, that covers your sins. And um, that's why you get to go to heaven, which is salvation, uh, because of the blood of Jesus. But I have to say, I know this Presbyterian minister who's my dad, who um, is a very interesting universalist because he does not believe God sends anyone to hell after having read, mostly what he reads is the Bible and the London Economist. 
And after 86 years of studying, he has come to the conclusion that um, Jesus died because some people killed him. And um, it's God who forgives your sins. He says, listen, um, and it's fascinating listening to him talk. He says, listen, your sins are either paid for or they're forgiven. And a lot of churchianity folks use that interchangeably. He said, but if, if you owe me $10,000 and this woman over here pays me the 10000 and says, shh, this is on her behalf. She doesn't owe you 10000 anymore. Then that's paid for. Your debt is paid for. But if I say to you, listen, don't worry about the $10,000. I don't need it. You need it worse than I do. And it's just um, forgiven. That's a different thing. So either your sins are paid for by the blood of Jesus, or they're just forgiven by God, who could have forgiven them anyway, and you sit there. This is me now, not my dad. Um, but you have to believe in this God who goes, I could forgive you, but I'm not going to. Somebody has to die first. I don't, I never did understand that, and in seminary I would ask about it, and they would just say, now let's take it from the beginning. You are a miserable sinner, as are we all. You're the wretch that, that is talked about in, in Amazing Grace. Uh, you're a wretch, and nothing you can do can lift you toward heaven, and it has to be anyway, blah, blah, blah. So, but it never made that much sense. Hence, I'm a Unitarian Universalist. So, um, in Islam, the most recent other religions we're looking at, if you count Unitarian Universalism as starting back in the 3rd century with the Aryan heresy, which I do, in Islam, you get to heaven, salvation, if you believe in God, Allah is the name for God, although some people think Allah is a different God um, from Yahweh, the God of the Jews. I think that's too many gods. I'm a Unitarian, which means one God. I think they're both the same concept and just different names, but you can believe whatever you want. So if you believe in Allah and the message of Allah, which is Islam, then you go to heaven. If you just believe in Allah without believing the message, then your fate is up to him. Him being how they talk about Allah. And if you don't believe in God, then there's just no heaven for you. No salvation for you. Okay. So here I am, a Unitarian Universalist, and I'm talking about salvation. And what is it for us? If you don't believe in hell, then what are you being saved from? The universalist part of our name, and that's another whole sermon, it is universal salvation. We believe everyone is saved. We don't believe God is going to send anybody to hell. Our earliest preachers in the mid-1800s, early 1800s, were preaching, you know, if you were to burn one of your children for a mistake they made, we would put you in jail. And now we, we worship a God who would do this? No, you are not a better parent than God. So, i.e., God would not do this. So that's the universalist message, which is pretty radical in Texas even today. So if there's no hell, there's nothing from which to be delivered, really. There's nothing from which to be rescued except your own human nature. And is salvation going to rescue you from human nature? Are you going to not be human anymore? I don't think so. So, again, I'm going to tell you for me what I think it is, which has no bearing on what you have to think. 
I think what we have to be delivered from is our own guilt and regret over promises broken and damage done. And I think grace consists in forgiving one another and in forgiving ourselves. And I think grace can be an, a realization or an insight or a touch from a song or a poem or a view in nature or a conversation with someone. And that gives you a change of mind and heart that allows you to move forward even though you regret things that you've done. Those realizations, those changes of heart will allow you to give yourself a fresh start. And grace is when someone close to you allows you a fresh start and says, listen, let's have a do-over. Let's, let's not count that whole bad thing that just happened between us. Let's just forgive each other and move on. And grace can happen when someone decides that you are more than that mistake that you made. Sin, uh, in, in the Buddhist understanding, is out of jointness. And in the Christian understanding, is missing the mark. That's the word that's translated sin. You miss the mark. So it has, those two seem similar to me in that they're talking about disharmony or a lack of fit or kind of a brokenness that needs to be readjusted. And so um, I think that's a good way to think about sin is that anything that causes uh, disharmony or lack of fit or lack of flow. And um, Unitarian Universalists are said to have no sense of sin but uh, I think that's not true, and I think we have a sense of sin every time we throw a soda can in the trash, or um, if we drink bottled water, or if we drink bottled water and then throw the bottle in the trash, um, I'm getting worse and worse here. If we, um, we have a sense of sin when we drive gas-guzzling cars, or when we judge somebody for something we're supposed to tolerate, and sometimes we do things that are worse. like abusing substances, being cruel to family, willfully turning our thoughts away from things we know we should be paying attention to. And so how do we get made whole from those things? Well, I don't think there's a great lot of mystery to it. I think there's a little mystery. But mostly we practice doing what we say we're going to do, and we practice asking forgiveness and making amends, and we practice being the people we would like to be, and we practice forgiving other people so that we can forgive ourselves more easily. We practice becoming supple and compassionate and loving people, and it takes a lot of practice. And with our chosen spiritual practice, we get more stable and more emotionally disciplined and more sturdily rooted in our principles and rooted in love and rooted in that river of love that runs through the universe so that we can be the people we would like to be. And even though we never really are, we can understand that we're doing our best and that love does not demand perfection. And in terms of the end of things, the end of the soul, and feeling clean and peaceful and free, for me, 
I think about my ashes being scattered under a tree and the rain coming down and soaking me into the earth and then the tree's roots drawing me up and letting me be part of that amazing green that is the spring green of leaves and then I get eaten by a caterpillar and then the caterpillar gets eaten by a bird and I get to fly for a while and then the bird dies and becomes grass that gets eaten by a cow. I get to be a cow for a while. I just think that there is peacefulness in becoming one with things. And I think that when we look at our world and we know that the air we breathe has been breathed by other people ancient in ancient days and has been breathed perhaps by a lion or a cougar and we are breathing it in and the wood out of which we make our houses and restaurants has drawn up people like me into its bark and into its roots and so there we are in the walls surrounding you and that everything is everything. And it doesn't take any faith to believe that. That's just carbon and water moving around. So that is salvation to me. I invite you to think about what it is to you. Now as you go out into the world, may you find out there the river of love that flows through everything. May you also find it within yourself. May you dip your toes into it or take a big swim. May you find love everywhere. And if you don't find it, may you leave some of your own there. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.